Good morning. Our scripture passage this morning for the sermon is John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. It's found on page 1147 of your pew Bibles. Please stand if you are able for the reading of God's holy word from John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. Here at Brigham City Bible Church, we believe the Bible to be the only infallible rule for faith and godliness. Hear now the word of the Lord. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples." As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Praise be to God for his word. Let us pray. Dear Lord, Open up your word to us, and by your Spirit, show us what you have for us to hear, for us to see, for us to believe, for us to live out, how we should praise and to worship you, and Lord, how we should also be a witness to others, showing them who you are, your power and your glory, as you are changing us. Let us also shine your light and your glory. We thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus is the only source for a fruitful life. Here in John chapter 15, Jesus is the, at the end of part of the farewell discourses, as they are so called. Some of the most intimate depictions that we have of Jesus teaching his disciples as he is headed to the cross. After his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, Jesus shared the Passover meal with his disciples, and he prepared the disciples for his imminent death, resurrection, and ascension. Our text is the last of the I am statements of Jesus found here in the Gospel of John, near the end of his time with the disciples on earth. Jesus referred to himself as the bread of life, the light of the world the door to the kingdom, the good shepherd, the resurrection, the way, the truth, and the life. And on the eve of his death, the Lord made it perfectly clear just how much we need him. As the Apostle Paul said, the weakness of God is stronger than men, so the Son of God was sent to call a people to himself because apart from God, 
we would all of us be lost. And so he is our life. He is our light. We need Christ every waking moment of every day. He holds us in his hand and we are unaware of the full depth of the riches to be found in Jesus Christ. So let us consider now Christ, who is the true vine. You see, in the Old Testament, the people of God were depicted as the vineyard of the Lord. And so the people of Israel were given every advantage for godliness, the direct care and the cultivation of God Almighty was provided so that they would be a holy people for his glory. But what did the Lord find time and again? Bloodshed, unrighteousness, idolatry, faithlessness, the worst of the sins of humanity among the people of God. And so Jesus declares in verse 1, I am the true vine. You see, the Lord would not fail to bring to us from death into life to make us a new creation in Christ Jesus and that he would do this by providing to us Jesus Christ himself, his only son. He is the vine and we are the branches, he tells us. We are wholly dependent upon him for life and for fellowship with God. Apart from Christ, we would all finally and fully fail to adhere to the righteous standard of God. See, I grew up in this church. I came to know God uh, within these very walls. And apart from his grace, apart from the power of God and the care of God, I would not still be serving him. And so it is with all of you. Apart from God's care and power and grace, Brigham City Bible Church has no hope to fulfill its mission as the church, unless if we are empowered by the Lord our God. We are all totally dependent upon Jesus Christ. And yet, we so often try to live the Christian life and to be the church by our strength. But our strength is the, is the way of compromise, of self-reliance, of measuring our significance by what we can see. We must be reminded that Jesus Christ is the only source for a fruitful life, for me, for you, for this church. We are so prone to wander when no one is looking. We are so prone to say, the Lord does not need my faithfulness here and now, maybe not audibly, but in our hearts. When we are faced with temptation, we make those choices on a daily basis. And yet, did you know that our God is at work in us even now? We are faithless, yet he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Without our life in Jesus Christ, we would be destroyed under the wrath of a holy God. But thanks be to God. In Christ we endure to the end, strengthened with his riches and changed by the means of his grace. Jesus is very clear. He is the only source for life. So why do we pretend otherwise? This is why Jesus tells us in verses 1 through 2 that the Father is the vine dresser, the one who prunes us in our lives. Look with me in verses 1 through 2. My Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Are you bearing fruit? 
Are you attentive to the pruning of the Father? Let's attend with care to the work of God in us. In this metaphor, the vine of Christ into whom we are grafted through faith in the Son of God is cared for by the Father as the vine dresser. In order to bear more fruit, a vine is lifted up out of the mud and dirt and trained to grow onto a wooden trellis. And in this process, pruning is the key to growth. I don't know if any of you guys have gardens. Many of us uh, practice these things even with our own plants in our houses and in our gardens and in our homes. And so the Father does this with us as we are the branches upon the vine of Christ. So when you are united to Christ through faith out of your old life, the Father lifts us up out of the ashes of our previously futile existence. He lifts us from the ground of self-righteousness, out of our satisfaction with mediocrity, from the mud of idolatry, from the parasitic slavery to sin. He unites us to Christ to stand in the power of God and removes anything in our lives that will render us useless. This process is what we call sanctification. Any experienced saint can tell you the Father's love is sometimes a painful process. Can we not? But we need his work of removing the dross from our lives more than we could ever imagine. Some of us have left family behind to follow the Lord. We left unrighteous ways of gain. We had our idols exposed and removed from our lives. And yet, some of us have held on to some of these things. Burying our idols down in our hearts, hiding them from our neighbors and our friends, from our uh, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, trusting in our strength rather than in Christ. But the Father is right now working to prune each and every one of his children. The end of this process is the glory of God, and in his wisdom, he has chosen to transform us for his glory and for our good. When the Lord saves you, he is not concerned with leaving you as you are, mired in your own sin, but in raising you up to new life and showing you the glory of the Son of God through each and every one of us. Even as we heard in the children's sermon, we are the living stones in the church, the body of Christ. We are being built up into the church through his power and for his glory. So whether that is through harsh discipline of the Father or through hard-won lessons, his will is to be done in us. So do we have here in Scripture a strange dichotomy between the Father and between Jesus? That Jesus is somehow gentle while, the, gentle while the Father is harsh. By no means. Rather, God the Head is working together through each of the Godhead in their role as Jesus performs the washing of the Word. Look with me. The Son participates in this process in verse 3 through the enduring Word of God. Already, you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. The life of Christ on the earth made it clear that the word of God is the central means of grace that the Lord used to conform his people to himself. As he reminded the disciples that the word has cleansed them through the word that Jesus spoke to them, the way that the disciples saw the world change, their worldview the way that they viewed themselves, 
the way that they viewed their purpose here on earth, the way that they viewed their relationship with their family. All of these things changed. You see, before Christ, they began hopeless, trying to eke out an existence under the thumb of an oppressive nation. Not knowing Christ under the wrath of God, hoping for mere earthly prosperity. The Word of God has the power to make us clean from the inside out in our hearts. And our minds are transformed with the mind of Christ. As Jesus said in John chapter 13, verse 8, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. This is not an option for believers, but it is actually the means by which God has brought us into Jesus Christ. He has washed us by his blood and washed us with his word. We are made clean. To be, to be united to Christ is to be changed on a fundamental level. What we love is cleansed to love what God loves. With all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we are transformed to love the Lord our God rather than to our love ourselves and to love this world and the things in this world. What we hope for is looking forward to being with God. What we do is cleanse from hopeless, selfish endeavors, reliant on the strength of men, and no longer do we try to save our families by outthinking our children, manipulating our spouses, avoiding the black sheep of the family. No, our minds and our hearts are now made clean in Christ through a heart of faith that believes in the promises of God. Such as that the promise of the gospel is for you and for your children. And all who are far off, the promise of eternal, purpose-filled, abundant life in Christ. Now, it's not just here that we find this, but throughout all of Scripture. I have come to give them life, and give them life abundantly. As Jesus said in John chapter 10. So have you been made clean through the enduring Word of God? Has He, and is He, transforming you to love Him, and to believe the Word, and to forsake earthly ways? Do you want a life of meaning and of purpose? Only in Christ do we have life. True life. Our God is three in one, so as the Father and the Son are working in us, so is the Spirit producing fruit in us, as the Scripture has called this fruit the fruit of the Spirit. So the work of the Father in us is for a very specific purpose, that we would bear fruit, and we are told how in verses 4 through 5. Look with me at your text. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless... It abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We are called to abide in him. Now let's take a minute to talk about this word abide. Abide means to remain, to stay, to dwell, to reside, to lodge. To abide is to make your home. It is where you live the center of your life and daily existence. Apart from Christ, we sought to make our home here on earth, pursuing happiness. Here in Brigham City, even if it was to pursue the happiness of the American dream. Even I, as a youth, I struggled with pursuing happiness here on earth. 
But the Lord is not telling us to build some new home, to even build the walls of a church building, although that we have done so that we might have a central pace to gather and to worship Him, but rather to redefine where our home is. We are not at home here on the earth. In Hebrews chapter 11, we are called sojourners. We are journeying here on earth, being witnesses for Jesus Christ, awaiting the return of Jesus. And so we are told to make our home to abide with Jesus, to abide in Jesus Christ, to hope in our source of life only found in Jesus. Wherever we are, he has called us to locate our life in Christ alone. Do you see that connection? Abiding in Christ. That's where you lodge, where you live, where you dwell. The Lord tells us this because apart from him, we can do nothing. This is connected with how we bear fruit, with how we view ourselves, with how we view our families, with how we view raising our children, with how we view pointing everyone in our lives to the hope and the promises of the gospel in which we have believed, where we find our life. See, that phrase that we can do nothing, Jesus does not mean that we can do some things or that we can do meaningless things, that we can do important things only, or that you can only do spiritual things on our really good days. No, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. I've been in youth ministry for the past 10 years now. And those who have questions constantly point out when I mention something like this, but Paul, I think that we can do good things still, you know? We can do things that have meaning, you know? It's it's not all Jesus. Like, I was actually the person who walked that old lady across the street, or, you know, uh, my dad is still the one who takes care of us, you know? These are good things. Now, I'm not denying that it's better to care for your kids than to not care for them. But before we come to believe in Christ, certainly we can pull one foot out of bed after the other. But if whatever you do is not by the power of Christ in you, for the glory of God, it is as if it was nothing. As if it was meaningless or purposeless. There is nothing worthwhile, nothing that will last, nothing that will glorify God, nothing that will fix our lives in this world, nothing that will matter for any second of all eternity except for that which we do in Jesus Christ. That is what Jesus meant by, apart from me, you can do nothing. He's telling us again, find our life, make our home in him, not in what we can do. So he has become our beginning and our end, for he is the Alpha and the Omega, and we have been united to him through faith and the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. So here, the purpose of God's work in us is laid out. We are to bear much fruit, and we are unable to bear fruit apart from the grace of God through Christ in us. How we began in the faith, so we should also continue to walk in it. It's not that you first believe in Jesus and then okay, now we get to graduate and become like, you know, the higher tier Christians and, you know, now I'm going to really do something great for the Lord. No, it's faithful plotting. One day after the other, where are you finding your life? Where are you finding your hope? Is it in Jesus or is it in the better version of me tomorrow? So let's talk about how do branches bear fruit? It takes nutrients from the vine 
Every day we are filled with grace beyond measure, being united to Jesus, and by what we are being transformed into, the living stones of the church. We don't work really hard, but it becomes a natural progression from the power of God working in us. As we know Christ, as we really know him, our very nature is that of a branch being grafted onto him, and we cannot help but bear fruit. See, if I've ever watched a plant growing fruit, I don't really see the vines like swerving around and like, you know, digging up the soil and other things like that. It's just kind of like you stare there, you stand there, you stare at the vine, and it's just sitting there. And then you look a little bit later, and then you look the next month, and then maybe three months go by, and you see the little green tomatoes start to grow. You're like, okay, it's growing something. All of the source is coming from uh, what the Lord is doing on the outside and from the vine who is Jesus Christ who is funneling all of that in and causing you to grow properly and to produce fruit. That is the nature of what it is to be a branch. He is the one. The Father is the vine dresser. The Spirit is producing the fruit. Jesus is the one to whom we are connected to in our life, in our home, and producing that fruit through washing us through his word. And now, we want to fulfill that purpose. So do you want to bear the fruit of God in your life? See Christ. Be found hoping in Him. Savoring Him. Listening to His Word. The wisdom of God saw fit to make very plain to us what this fruit is like in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24. It says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. The fruit that we bear in Christ is the fruit of the Spirit. Even as we are united to Christ through the washing of the Word, the engrafting of the Father, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of joy is not circumstance, but the very reality of our hope abiding in us, living in us, dwelling in us. The fruit of love is not from the deep well of self-love after our twelfth round of therapy. No, it is from the source of everything Christ in us. We have this fruit by Christ being in us and we in him, and so the result is a life filled with the fruit of the Spirit. For the word of the Lord will not return void. This is a promise that he has given to us in Scripture. And he has set up Christ and lifted him high upon the cross, taking the wrath of God upon himself. And so as Paul says, that those who belong to him have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires with him on the cross. No longer is our love self-serving, but God-glorifying. No longer is self-control what we do to function in society, but to please God. Because the old desire, the old nature, is gone and the new has come. One of the great problems for Christians today, for me as well, is that we often act as if these truths concerning us in Christ were merely motivational. That is not what Jesus is teaching us. He's not giving us a pep talk, although it is to encourage them. 
He's telling us about the truth of what God is doing in us. We don't really believe that in him we have all power to be fruitful if we abide in the source of life, Jesus Christ. We to try to change on our own, strength and effort, we, which, is, which will get us nowhere. For apart from Christ, we can do nothing. We're not just a little sick before Jesus. We are dead in our sins. We're not just a little alive now in Jesus. No, we have been raised from death to life, given every advantage through faith in the Son of God, so that what we do, we need a rewiring that if we seek Jesus to love and to savor Him, to see Him as our home and our hope and our life, then the fruit of the Spirit will be abound from the branch that is abiding and living in Jesus. Every branch in Christ will bear fruit. You are saved through faith alone in the Son of God. That is true. But, even as our confession tells us and the scriptures itself tell you, just read through them, you will see this on uh, every other page, that saving faith is never alone. The fruit of the Spirit, is a, uh, you can see it and it will manifest in your life. So let us take stock of the fruit in our lives. If you are acting as if you will progress in your faith on your own apart from Christ, do you know the life that is found in Jesus? Do you know and believe that you need Christ at all times? That is a very good sign that you are growing in the fruit is that you realize your dependency upon the Son of God and not upon your self-transformation. Anything that you see is something that you should give glory to God for. How he is changing you, transforming you, making you into the image of his son. And so the Lord also tells us the purpose of this fruit, the glory of God. Why then should we desire to bear fruit? For those who do not bear fruit will not be in Christ. Look with me in verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. See, the work of the Father in us was so that we would bear much fruit. It should be enough for us that it is what the Lord desires that we bear fruit. But he also shows us that it is for our good. So there are two purposes for the fruit of the Spirit produced in our lives. The first and the most important is the glory of God. Look with me in verse 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. We are called by God into marvelous light so that we may glorify him through the fruit that he produces in us. In the face of the most frustrating spouse there is on earth, the father is glorified by producing patience that is not of this world. Through a life of difficulty, he will give peace that surpasses all understanding. The Lord teaches us two practical ways that we bear fruit, through prayer and obedience. But he's very plain that these only begin in how we are rooted and abide in him. Look with me in verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. You see, as our minds and our hearts are transformed by the abiding word of God in our hearts, we desire what God desires in us. It's no longer just like, hey God, uh, can you please you know, give me more money so that our family stresses out less. 
Now that's something that you can pray for and that sometimes he does care for us in this way. But we begin to desire what God desires in us and in others and in the world. We are given access through Christ to the throne of grace. We go to the Father through Christ in prayer. So this doesn't necessarily mean that if you ask for a beach house or a new boat or the downfall of an enemy, that those are the things that will be done for you. But when we pray, whatever is according to the will of God, he will accomplish it for us in Jesus Christ. So when we pray in the name of Jesus, we are also asking for the will of Christ to be done in us. Remember how he taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. So we may confidently pray everywhere in our lives, Thy will be done. As he has promised, so he will accomplish it. To finish the good work that he began in us. Do you know the power of praying according to the abiding word of God? Have you seen how he glorifies himself through you? As you begin to change and desire what he desires. Not just in you, but in those of your family. Look with me in verses 9 through 10. He tells us about obedience. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. So also apart from him, we cannot obey. But in Christ, he gives us strength to obey through the indwelling and sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. This is the process he's been describing to us. Why he is the vine and we are the branches. The Father is pruning us. The Father is working on us. Jesus has washed us with the word. The Spirit is producing that fruit. And so obedience is the wheelhouse of the Christian. It is not just that for the Christian who's been walking with the Lord 80 years or 60 years or 40 years. But for those who have known him, they begin to walk and to grow in it. And so as he produces this in us, whatever is his will, so he will do in us. Do we fall short? Certainly. And that is when we can expect some painful pruning. That is the Father's role. That is when his, his discipline comes in. That is when he is saying, no, this needs to be removed from you so that my will will be done. And so also, Christ gives us an abiding joy. Look with me in verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. The second purpose of fruit is that the enduring joy of Christ would be in us and that it would be full. The disciples are about to enter one of the greatest trials as Jesus is crucified and it seems like all hope is lost. Can't it seem like that in our lives sometimes? when we get that new report of the illness in our family, or when we get the report of someone in our family who said that they were walking with the Lord, but no longer are, they, they say they are no longer walking with him. They say they don't believe. When these things happen, is it really so different as the situation the disciples were about to face as Jesus was crucified and it seemed like maybe he isn't who he said he was. But Jesus says, 
that the joy of Christ is not dependent upon our earthly circumstances. Being happy because our earthly circumstances are good is not the joy of Jesus that he is talking about. But that now we are satisfied in Christ. He is where our home is at. He is where our hope is at. Our joy cannot be taken from us. That is the abiding joy of Jesus. That is the difference between joy and happiness. One is circumstantial, but joy is based upon something that is unshakable. The gospel of Jesus. That when I die, I will be with him. And I will see him in his unapproachable light. And right now I see dimly, but then I will see him face to face. In the face of death, the loss of all things, the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ is joy beyond measure. So now our life is hid with Christ on high. There is nothing that will shake us so finally so as to lose all hope because we are rooted in Jesus. So do you know his enduring joy? You will know it to its fullest if you abide in the love of God through obedience to the word of God. Do not forsake the full joy of Christ offered to you by neglecting these things, but press on all the more in this hope that you have begun in because Jesus is our true vine. He is our true hope, our true life. Shortly we will come together to keep his commandment of the Lord's Supper which is a sign and a seal to those who believe of the cleansing power of his blood. As Christ was lifted up, he made a covenant with us that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Remember the sign to you that you are wholly dependent upon him for your life. And remember the seal that you are unable to hold on to Christ and know that he is holding on to you. Attend to these things so that the joy of Christ, which surpasses all understanding, will be in you. Let us pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your word that you have shown us that in Jesus we have all life. You teach us in these metaphors so we might see how you work, that we might be able to be reminded even our daily lives, maybe as we are gardening and even as we are reading your word, even as we are uh, losing hope because of earthly circumstances. Lord, in all of these things, remind us again and show us again how you are working in us and our final and full hope is in you. Lord, I pray that we would desire to grow and to produce much fruit and to ask that you would, your will would be done in us so that you may be glorified and that others may see who you are, because we are not hoping in ourselves, but we are hoping in the only God who sent his Son to die for us, to take your wrath for us, for our sins rightly deserved upon the cross, and that by receiving your righteousness and believing in your name, we are saved, and we will be with you one day as your children. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.